On today's podcast, we interview Nicole, who is a state-certified dietitian nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist, board-certified holistic nutritionist, and FDNP. She has been in private practice for over nine years and helps her clients go beyond managing symptoms and look for the underlying pieces to their healing puzzle. She also dealt with mast cell activation syndrome, autoimmune disease, and POTS, and discusses her own healing journey, which is an incredible story, and how she now translates that into helping her clients. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. All right. Welcome back to The Food Code. We are so excited for another amazing interview. Um, we have Nicole with us. Um, and Nicole, I'm going to give a little brief background, but I know that she's going to expand on this in so many amazing ways. Um, she discovered her passion for holistic health and nutrition with her own health challenges, which I think so many people, that is how they get into this field, um, is because they couldn't figure things out or, or they had doctors that maybe weren't maybe figuring things out for them as much. And so that's like, I need to take it into my own hands type of thing. <laughs> and, and then you get into the rabbit hole of, wow, this is fascinating. And I want to learn more. And this is helping me and maybe it can help others. Um, and so in, you know, two decades of a government type job, which I'm very interested to hear what that was. Um, it took a toll on her health, experienced a range of health symptoms, autoimmunity, mast cell activation syndrome, POTS, and knew you needed a change. So welcome, Nicole. We are so excited to chat through all of this and let our listeners know a little bit more about what those things are, um, your journey and challenges with them and how you've kind of overcome them and what that's turned into for you. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course, of course. So can you tell us a little bit and our listeners a little bit, you know, maybe from the beginning, like the job and what started to happen in terms of symptoms or when you figured out, you know, or realized like things don't feel right. I'm maybe getting sicker, sicker, symptoms are more prevalent. Um, can you give us a little bit of a rundown with that history? Sure. I'll try to keep it on the shorter side because I could talk for an hour just about that. <laughs> um, but for me, I always had a landscape of autoimmunity. So in my 20s, I had developed celiac disease. I had leaky gut at the time. I had hashies. So I always had some degree of sensitivity going on. Um, but for the mast cell condition, what happened for me, I think I was about 38. And I had gotten a vaccination. So I'd gotten the Tdap vaccine and I had the first anaphylactic reaction of my life within the first few hours of doing that. And at the time, I didn't really think too much of it. I was like, oh, that's weird, you know, but whatever. But what started to happen over the next couple of months was my body just started to break down in so many different ways. So it started with cardiac symptoms. So what I would do before work, I used to work out, I used to go for a jog, things like that. And I remember being out for a jog and just having shortness of breath and really severe chest pains. And it was so weird. And then I ended up having um, 
uh, EKGs and stress tests and I was failing them. And so I ended up getting admitted to the hospital and having an angiogram. And they, my, my heart was structurally fine. It was electrically fine, but I was experiencing some degree of ischemia and they couldn't tell me why. So they just put me on beta blockers, which I now know are really not tolerated well by people with mast cell conditions. And that was the case for me. They just made me feel worse. And then over the next couple of months, I just started to react to everything that I ingested. I mean, everything. So anything that I drank, anything that I ate, any supplement that I took. And these are things that I've been using for years. And I had allergic reactions 24-7. And I think I went to the ER, no exaggeration, like 25 times during this period of time. I was always there. I was always having allergic and anaphylactic reactions. And again, nobody could tell me why. And then on one time that I was there, they wanted to do some imaging. So they gave me some iodine contrast dye and I had an anaphylactic reaction right in front of them. So I had uh, edema and throat swelling and my the duck lips and the hives and all of that. And I think when I had that reaction in front of them in real time, they were like, oh, okay, like we need to figure this out, you know? So they admitted me to the hospital then. At the same time, I had the onset of POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And essentially what happens is your heart rate jacks up, your blood pressure drops significantly, blood pools in your legs, and sometimes you faint. And for me, I was fainting all the time. Uh, so I couldn't get up and walk around. They had me on a bed alarm. They wouldn't let me get up. I couldn't use the restroom or the shower and anything like that. And so I was in the hospital for about a month. And I don't know if either of you have been in the hospital for an extended period of time, but it's a horrible experience oh all the way around. And it's really not conducive to healing. But when I was there, I got the million-dollar workup. They did every test. They had different theories about what was going on. At one point, they thought I had lupus. They thought I had MS. They thought um, I had a theocytochroma, which is a type of tumor on your adrenal gland that secretes hormones. Um, but it turns out that wasn't the case. And so they just had these different theories they were testing out, but nothing really stuck. And so it got to the point, and while I was in there, I was on 24-7 steroids and IV Benadryl. I was having anaphylactic reactions all day, every day. I was down to four foods that I could eat without having those reactions. So I was dropping weight like crazy. I lost 90 pounds in the first couple of months. So I was really underweight. And so I just spent my days lying on my back in there <laughs> waiting for someone to, to help me and come up with some sort of answer for this. Um, and so I remember it was around Christmas time. And they, I'd been in there for about a month and they were just like, hey, you want to go home? And they, they didn't know what to do with me, basically. And so they discharged me with a diagnosis of anxiety, oh which at the time made me want to punch them in the face because oh that wasn't what was going on. I mean, sure, it's a secondary symptom, but it wasn't the undercurrent of it was, well, this, you know, you're probably like, it's psychosomatic. You're probably doing this to yourself which was not at all the case. And so they discharged me without any resolution to anything, any of my symptoms. And so I remember going to stay at my parents' house because it was Christmas and they lived in a different state than I did. And I just was miserable and I was still anaphylactic all the time. I remember going to sleep back then and I would lay out my cell phone. I would have it pre-dialed to 911. I would have my EpiPen, my Benadryl, my steroid. I mean, it was that level of sensitivity and it was just such a horrible space to be in all the time. And I was fainting all the time. I couldn't walk because the POTS was so severe. And so I would faint. My family would find me at different places in the house. And so 
right after Christmas at some point, I remember them finding me passed out somewhere and I banged myself up and they were just like, you know what, this is, this is enough. This is it. So they put me in the car. They drove a couple hours to Boston and there were a lot of great hospitals there. And so they took me to Brigham and Women's Hospital, which has one of the, I think it's the only mass cell center at a hospital in the country. I'm not, I could be wrong, but I think that's the case. So I was admitted there. And long story short, I ended up getting uh, diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, and that's where the healing started for me. So I kind of had a sense of what was going on. Um, what was interesting, though, at the time, I had been um, apprenticing for my nutritionist, and that's sort of where I had developed my passion for nutrition. I had gone back to school for nutrition. And she and I would talk on the phone uh, quite a bit, like almost every day. And I remember her saying to me when I was in the hospital, you know, you got to look into this mast cell thing because I've had clients with mastocytosis. It sounds like what you have going on. And at the time, I didn't know what those conditions were. So she really pushed me to get tested for those things. And so I did. And I ended up, that's what ended up being an issue for me. I don't know if my eyes have ever been that wide for that long <laughs> listening to that story. That is yeah. insane. Can I ask what four foods you could eat? I'm just really curious. Yeah. So it was chicken. It was sweet potato. It was an apple and it was broccoli. And it's sort of. <laughs> oh, my gosh. gosh. And, it, and it's so bizarre, too, because it happened so fast. Like I was very high functioning before, you know, I was very type A. I was in a high profile job. I was doing all these things. And to go from that to basically totally disabled and feeling like an infant where everybody had to take care of me. I had to use a wheelchair when I left the house. I mean, it was just so, it was such a dark night of the soul type of experience. And so sometimes when I think back on it, it's like, I can't even believe, I just don't even like to think about it. It was so, yeah. Oh my it gosh. was so debilitating. Okay. So <sighs> what, I mean, obviously that's how we, you found out what the mast cell, you know, condition was that you had. What are mast cell conditions? Can you kind of explain what mast cell condition is, how it might be different from like allergies and, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more, my, I hate to say mild case, but like how is mast cell yeah. different? Yeah. So your mast cells are white blood cells that are part of your immune system and they're found throughout your body. There's actually quite a bit there in, in your GI tract and they release up to 200 pro-inflammatory uh, mediators, so chemicals. Those are things like histamines and cytokines and prostaglandins and leukotrienes. And they help your body fight pathogens and allergens. So it's that allergic response that you need. It's a good thing. It's it, when it's used properly, your body, it helps protect you from things. So when you have a mast cell disorder, there are different types, but generally they fall under kind of two umbrellas. And one type is where you have an abnormal number of mast cells, and that's something called mastocytosis. And there are different forms of mastocytosis. There's a, like a really aggressive one that can be cancerous, and then there's one that's more benign. But basically, your body is producing too many. They're just all over the place. They're proliferating, and they're releasing these chemicals, and it's causing those reactions. Um, you can also have a normal number of mast cells that become hypersensitive and hyperactive. And that's what we refer to as mast cell activation syndrome. So with MCAS, your mast cells are constantly releasing those mediators when they shouldn't. Essentially, they don't turn off. You're just always having this chronic allergic state. And there can be a genetic component to them. So if you have a genetic mast cell disorder, it's what they call clonal disorders, so mastocytosis is a clonal disorder. There's a rare form of MCAS called monoclonal mast cell activation syndrome that 
has a genetic component to it. Um, or it could be non-clonal, which means that you don't have that genetic component. And typically when we're talking about the genetics, it's a mutation in something called the KIT gene, K-I-T. And most commonly, it's a variation called D816V. So if you don't have that genetic variation, then typically what you have is non-clonal mast cell activation. And that that just generally means it's kind of secondary to something else, or it's idiopathic, meaning we don't know why it's happening. But more often than not, most people have non-clonal MCAS, and it's secondary to something else. And so typically what that something else is that I've seen is Lyme, mold, sort of GI disturbances, so things like SIBO and H. pylori and yeast, all of those types of things. And when you calm down that underlying root cause, then the mast cell disorder kind of resolves itself or subsides or gets to a point where you're not, you know, it's not ruling your life. Um, so that's typically what they are and how they're treated in the traditional medical world is that they typically will give you high doses of antihistamines, mast cell stabilizers, and leukotriene inhibitors. And so typically what you're looking at are H1 blockers, which are things like Claritin and Benadryl and Zyrtec, um, but it's not normal doses. They mega dose you, like to give you an idea of, of that. When I, there was a point in time when I was taking 150 milligrams of Benadryl every day. And so if you think about Benadryl, when you go and you buy it, the, the capsules are 25 milligrams. I was taking six. Now think about taking six Benadryl and what that does to you and how you can function, right? Like, so they have you on mega doses. Um, they'll put you on H2 blockers. And so that's things like Pepsid and Tagamet and Zantac. And the issue with that, as you guys know, it's like it can really wreak havoc on your stomach acid levels and cause issues there and create an environment where, you know, some pathogens can really take root in there. Um, they'll also put you on mast cell stabilizers. And so those are things like chromalin sodium and ketotifin, which is also an H1 blocker. And so um, they'll put you on leukotriene inhibitors, and that's something like Singular. And sometimes they use other meds kind of off-label, and they use Zolaire, which can neutralize antibodies. They use low-dose naltrexone sometimes, which will reduce your T-cell dysfunction. Sometimes they use aspirin with people, which is a prostaglandin inhibitor. But sometimes it's not tolerated if you have a salicylate sensitivity. So it really just depends on the person. But typically what they do is they give you meds and they say, you know, good luck to you. Take these meds. Um, and yeah. so their, their, their approach is more managing the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and that's Liz and I talk about this all the time on the podcast that that's kind of what conventional medicine is. Um, you know, it, they see a host of symptoms and it's what yes. medications can we potentially do to help manage your symptoms versus why is this happening? Like, why exactly. is your body responding how it's responding? Um, and obviously, that's why we do what we do. You do what you do, um, because managing the symptoms wasn't really working <laughs> very well for yeah. you. Um, and, you know, who knows what it would have happened if you hadn't gotten to the bottom of what was actually going on. Um, and it's scary to think about that, I think, in a lot of cases. It is. And I think for me at the time, one of the things, and they said to me in the beginning, I remember, well, you should just go on disability and learn to live with this. And I remember at the time thinking every cell in my body rejected that. Like immediately, I was like, absolutely. Challenge accepted. I'll see you, you know, when yeah. I'm functioning back. And I'm getting. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and I think that's, and you I'm, know, people know in their gut 
that like, this is not right. Like I do not yes. feel my body is not meant to be like this. Um, yes. And it's amazing, yes. you know, cause then you can be an advocate for other people that I think some people do take that victim mentality of like, well, this they is do. it. It is what it is. I have to live with this. And now like, yes. woe is me. And I hate to make it sound like that. Cause it is a suffering. Like obviously you were suffering, but you know, your body is not meant to be like that. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, particularly within an condition like this because it can be so debilitating it's like you don't even have the bandwidth you know you're just like all right I'll just take these meds like what am I gonna do like I can't even function so some I can understand why people go that route and sort of sink into that and Mm -hmm. stop working you know I have a lot of clients who have gone on disability have have stopped working depending on the profession that they're in because they just can't manage it. Mm -hmm. And so I get it. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that you have to be your own advocate. You have Mm -hmm. to sort of find, forge your own path. And sometimes that straight up sucks because you don't feel well, you know, but that's the way out, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So mast cells also create histamine. So can you talk a little bit about how this is different? Like how mast cell activation syndrome is different from like a histamine intolerance or an allergy per se? Um, I'm I'll let you explain. I have my ideas in my mind, but obviously, yeah, no, I love to hear them. So, yeah, people sometimes get these two conditions confused. They're different, but they share similar symptoms, and sometimes they can overlap, right? So, a lot of times, but not always, somebody with MCAS also has histamine intolerance. Um, Unlike MCAS, which causes your mast cells to become overreactive and release mediators. Histamine intolerance is generally when you have trouble breaking the histamine down in your body, particularly when you eat, and it accumulates and it can cause symptoms. And so histamine is generally broken down by two enzymes in your body. One is diamine oxidase, or DAO, in the small intestines, and histamine N-methyltransferase, or something called HNMT, and that's in the central nervous system. So Histamine intolerance generally occurs when your body isn't producing enough DAO to match your sort of histamine levels, which limits your ability to break down dietary histamine, especially if you're eating a lot of high histamine Mm -hmm. foods. But I think the difference is you have to remember with mast cells, histamine isn't the only game in town. They're releasing, you know, hundreds of mediators. So mm-hmm. it, it could be an issue for you, it might not. So it's it's important to, to keep yeah. that in mind when you're yeah. thinking about that. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, what was the approach for you? Like, what did you go natural remedy route? Did you go both? Like, what kind of was your solution with this? Yeah, so that's... <laughs> So here was the here was the rub for me at the time. You didn't have to convince me of going the natural route. I was all in, right? Like I had been yeah. in the holistic health space before this condition. I very much believed in natural medicine and the power of food as medicine, but my body wouldn't tolerate any of that. So that becomes the million dollar question is how do you heal when your body won't let you take what it needs? So in the beginning, I needed the meds to stabilize myself. And so I did that. And I and I think it's important to, you know, note that because I think sometimes in the holistic space or the nutrition space, we're just like, medicine's the devil. And it's not. Sometimes it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you're anaphylactic, you don't want to mess around with that. So for mm-hmm. me, in the beginning, I did the meds and I stabilized my muscles. But I felt like I got to a point where it was kind of like diminishing returns and a I was having more symptoms than I was benefits to it. So I weaned myself off. This is not telling anybody else to do that. This is just what I did at the time. And I started to investigate the more natural route. Um, And so I started with diet. 
And, you know, I think one thing that practitioners sometimes um, make a mistake about is they'll typically say, oh, you have a mass cell condition here, eat a low histamine diet and take some quercetin and let's call it a day. Um, but it's a little more complicated than that. So I'll, I started with diet. And one of the things I did at the time was I started with low histamine. I removed the highest histamine foods. Um, but at the time in the beginning, I was only down to four, right. And I was anaphylactic. So what do you do? Like, you can't just start eating all these foods. So I created a way that I actually use with my clients now to desensitize my body to foods. And so I basically microdosed foods, but how I decided what I was going to do was I kept a really meticulous food journals at the time, every day for about a year, I wrote down everything I ate, every med I took everything I did, what my symptoms were, how severe they were, and I would look for patterns. And I also entered the the information into an app. I think at the time it was fitday.com. And so I would look at, all right, what are my macro ratios? What am I deficient in? And so I would look for those deficiencies and I had a lot. So I would focus the foods on what I was deficient in. And so, for example, if I was had a magnesium deficiency, I would choose foods that had magnesium in that were rich sources of that. So I specifically chose very nutrient dense foods. I mean, you know, your initial inclination is like, oh God, I really miss chocolate. Or I really want, you know, some something like that. But I knew I couldn't do that. That wouldn't, because what happened for me in the beginning was, and one of the major mistakes that I made was that I stayed in my safe bubble where I was like, nope, I'm just sticking with these few foods. I don't want to have an anaphylactic reaction. So I'm just going to stay and eat these things and that's it. And I'm just going to keep myself contained. And what happened is I started to have lots of nutrient deficiencies. I started to have all these other symptoms and conditions come of that. Like, so I started up dental issues. I lost most of my hair. I just, so I was staying in that, you know, nice anaphylactic bubble, but I was, I had no energy. I started to have endocrine issues. And so it was all, I knew that that wasn't the way to go. So I had to sort of put my big girl hands on and just really try to, to do the work to expand my diet back out. So I started with very nutrient dense, dense foods. I think one of the first things I reintroduced was dandelion grains. I'm like, who wants to eat that? Like, but I knew that it would help support my liver. I knew that it had a lot of nutrients that I needed. Um, I started to add in foods based on that. I had zero fat in my diet at the time. I mean, zero, like nothing literally nothing. And I had lost 90 pounds because I wasn't eating anything. And so I knew I needed some, you know, healthy fats in my diet. So I would work in microdose and reintroduce foods one at a time. It was a very slow process at the time, but that's how I focused on the diet at first. Um, and I, yeah, so I just would work on reintroducing the foods. And then when I started to do that and started to get a more diverse macronutrient profile, then I started to feel better, obviously, because I was starting to give my body, you know, the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals it needs for those, you know, physiological processes in your body. So that's where I started. Um, and then, it, you know, it really, as I'm sure you guys know in the work that you do with your clients, every person and there are a lot of different pieces to your puzzle, right? You could have GI issues, you could have hormone issues. And for me, one of the major things that was an issue for me at the time was hormone imbalances. And so, and I never really thought about it initially. I was so hyper-focused on my immune reactions that I didn't take a look at my hormones. And so there's a direct connection between your mast cells and your sex hormones. 
Estrogen will stimulate your mast cells to release histamine, and it will also cause your body to make more estrogen, so you get in this histamine-estrogen cycle. And it also reduces your DAO, your diamine oxidase activity. So this creates a state of estrogen dominance, which I know you guys are really familiar with. And this is why a lot of people, a lot of women experience flares in their mast cell systems around their cycles because of that. So in contrast, you have testosterone, you have progesterone, and they're mast cell stabilizers. And progesterone actually helps you increase your DAO. And so for me, I ran a Dutch on myself and I found out that I was crazy high in estrogen and crazy low in DHEA and um, testosterone and all of the other hormones. And so that's where I focused a lot of my energy next was on hormone balancing. And that made a huge difference. I also was in the exhaustive phase of HPA axis dysfunction at the time. So for me doing some things to support my um, cortisol DHEA balance, getting my DHEA levels up, um, sort of mediating that stress response and pulling myself out of that stress response that I had been in for so long was an important part too. Um, and you know, looking at underlying gut pathogens too was was a big issue that I looked at. I had an issue with um, mold. I had candida. I had, and that in turn caused an oxalate issue. So um, there are a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. It just depends on the person and what they're dealing with. But for me, the major piece was um, actually hormonal for me. And so once I started to focus on those pieces, I started to gain some traction and I be, I was able to tolerate more things, more foods. And then I was able to onboard some supplements because at the beginning I couldn't tolerate a single supplement of any kind. And so I had really crazy low um, nutrient levels. Like my vitamin D level at one time, I think it was seven. You know, it was really, really, really low. And so I couldn't get those vitamins in me by taking supplements. So what I did at the time was try to find other ways that circumvented the GI tract. So I do intramuscular injections. I'd used a vitamin D lamp. I'd use transdermal. So I would use magnesium baths and soak in a bath to, to absorb through my skin. So I would try to find these workarounds to get those nutrients in my body. But eventually I was able to tolerate some natural mast cell stabilizers and um, supplements. And so I used things like bioflavonoids. So these are phytochemicals. They stop the release of histamine and leukotrienes and prostaglandins. There is a product that I really love that I use with a lot of people that, that works well, and it's called NeuroProtect, and it has quercetin, rutin, and luteolin, and it was actually developed by a mast cell physician at Tufts University because he didn't like the side effects of the drugs and he wanted to have something else to offer people. So that's something that I use a lot. Um, but sometimes people can't tolerate that, but I used that. I used vitamin C. I used, um, you know, vitamin C obviously has plays a role in your adrenal health. And it's also a really strong antihistamine and mast cell stabilizer. It helps boost your DAO. And, but I used, um, whole foods sources. So I used a lot of camo camo powder. And so, um, because it can be tricky when you have a mast cell condition and you're trying to look at vitamin C because, um, if you use ascorbyl palmitate, they're fermented. So that's typically an issue. Um, and if you use ascorbic acid, a lot of times it's, it's derived from fermented corn. So people don't tolerate that. So I used vitamin C from whole foods. I used decaffeinated green tea extract. I used stinging nettle. I used holy basil. So I just used different supplements that were specific to what issues that I had going on. Um, 
And one other piece that I think is critical that I don't know how often we talk about, but it can be a game changer for people, is neuroplasticity training. So have you guys heard of like the DNRS or the Gupta program? I've, I've heard of neuroplasticity training. I don't think I've heard of the, the programs. Yeah. So typically people will use one of these two programs. And what it does is it helps retrain your limbic system to get you out of that stress response. So if you're in a state of chronic stress or you experience trauma, it can cause your limbic system to malfunction and stay in that chronic stress response. And so when you eat those foods and you have those triggers, then your limbic system is firing like, you know, danger, danger. And so these programs actually teach you how to rewire those neural pathways so that you don't have that response. And it's it's typically one of the major pieces of the puzzle for people with mast cell. It's one of the first things I have people do if they haven't done it already is start there because then it, it creates a more um, an environment where those other remedies and foods and supplements will take root. It's so I, I think that's a huge piece too that people should consider doing. Yeah, we've had uh, we've had some clients that we've discussed like. And not to fault anyone, but like when people have such horrible digestive symptoms, walking into a restaurant and immediately looking for like the closest bathroom or, you know, it's like it's a trauma response. It's essentially you've been, you know, burned so many times by food that you start to see food as this like offender. Um, And so you go into meals with stress. You go into meals with this like mental piece um, because of the, the, you know, what's happened in terms of like dysfunction and symptoms. And so I completely understand, especially with such extreme conditions as, you know, mast cell activation can be that people would have this emotional response that needs to be addressed almost before anything else. Um, Cause you just get to such a negative place in terms of how you see food and how it responds within the body that, and you know, we've talked about this in many ways, how the mental and emotional peace can limit your healing. Absolutely. And it's, and I think every, I think that's the secret sauce. And I think you have to look at it. You know, sometimes we don't want to, or we don't think, Hey, I'm, you know, I haven't had trauma, right? We all have, it's just varying degrees and in, in whether it's trauma to you. And I think that it's worth at least looking at, because sometimes you need to do the work on the emotional and spiritual bodies before the physical can take root, or sometimes you need to do the physical and then that creates the space for you to be open to doing the emotional spiritual. But I agree with you a thousand percent. You have to, to look at, yeah. look at that. So what do you, what has this turned into for you? What do you do now with your clients and what kind of passion have you found from this journey of yours? And where are you at now? You know, physically, mentally in inability to eat more than four foods. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I have a private practice where I work primarily with with people with mast cell conditions one on one. And, you know, one I just wanted to use my experience to be a resource and a guide for other people. Right. Because, you know, as when you're a practitioner in this space, your job really is your number one job is to hold a safe healing container for people to do their own healing work, right? Like they have to do their own work. You can guide them and form them and educate them, but ultimately you have to do your own healing work. So that's really what I love to do for people. And I, I like to be a resource for people because back 10 years ago, no one was talking about this. I mean, it's so funny to me now, because every time I turn around, people are talking about mass cell and there's a you know, a webinar and a seminar and a, you know, a, a whole healing summit. And, and back then there was absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, so, which is a good thing. So I, I just, 
um, I really enjoy working with mass cell clients because I've gone through what they've gone through. And so I can really validate what they experience. So because it's a level of sensitivity, depending, like everybody is different and how severe they have it, but it can be a level of sensitivity that most people don't understand because they haven't experienced it. Whatever you think it is, it's like 10 times more than that. So when they come in and they say, you know what, I'm reacting to the water I'm drinking. I'm like, yeah, you are. I get it. You know, so I like being able to help guide people through their healing process and help them uncover those pieces to their puzzle because everybody's unique. It's never the same thing. It's never the same protocol. Um, So that's what I do in my private practice. And um, personally, I'm a million times better than where I used to be. And a lot of that is because of all of the things that I did that we talked about. And particularly neuroplasticity training was huge for me. I noticed um, some positive effects pretty quickly um, and was able to expand my diet back out and um, I'm very high functioning and and I don't really have daily reactions anymore and I'm much more well managed than I used to be and um, haven't had anaphylaxis in a very long time so I'm I'm much um, in a much 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 better place. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, your story is incredible and I, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm still in awe of what you went through and what you came out on the other side, you know, having discovered for yourself and getting your body back to a healthy place and a highly functioning place. Um, so, I mean, is there, you know, anything else you'd like to add about if any, like maybe symptoms or like, you know, what people can kind of watch out for if, if they feel, you know, that this is something maybe they're dealing with or where to even start, um, you know, for, for our listeners. Yeah, well, symptoms can, again, vary by person. It can affect any system in your body. Typically, it'll be things like hives, um, food intolerances. Some people will get neuroinflammation and migraines. Some people will have a lot of GI symptoms. Um, And so it really just varies based on the person. If you think you have it, um, I actually... I think some practitioners would disagree with me about this, but I actually recommend that you get a diagnosis for it. And the reason being is that if you have a formal diagnosis that's in your medical record, it'll change how they treat you whenever you have to use the traditional medical care system, where at some point you're going to have to, right? Like you can get into a car accident and it has nothing to do with your mast cell condition. But if they don't have a diagnosis for you, the meds they give you could trigger you, the type of anesthesia, all that kind of stuff. So I I really recommend that people get a diagnosis just so that you can get the best care for you if you need it. And people will take you seriously when you say, I have a mass cell condition. If you don't have the diagnosis, they'll think you're, they won't believe you <laughs> and yeah. they tend to not accommodate you. So I would recommend that. So how do you get a diagnosis? So Traditionally, it's diagnosed by an allergist or immunologist, and they do a few different things. They do a bone marrow biopsy, and that's where they're looking for that clonal disorder. They're looking to see, do you have a proliferation of mast cells in your marrow? So they'll look for that. They'll also do blood work. They'll look at your serum tryptase levels. They're going to look at your um, histamine levels in your urine and prostaglandins, different things. And so that's typically how they will diagnose you. Now, the problem is that if you have a mast cell condition and it's not clonal, if you do those tests and you're not in a flare when you do the test, they can come back normal. So sometimes people will get diagnosed based off of symptomology alone. And so I think the first step for me, I would say, if you really suspect that this is a big issue for you, that you would try to get the testing and get a diagnosis. 
But having said all that, I would also find a practitioner who's familiar with it and who knows what to do with it um, and start with diet. I think you can, I mean, you guys know, like sometimes just making dietary changes in and of itself can get you so to such a better place and feeling more stable before you can do that deeper work. You know, like you can't go and have somebody detox mold or, or go after a pathogen if they don't have their inflammation set point down, if they don't have their detox channels open like if their elimination is more so if they're you know um, methylation pathways so i think i would just start with diet at first and finding a way to stabilize your mast cells whether that's with the meds or whether it's with the natural alternatives that you can use and there are lots of different ones i only mentioned a few but there's there's lots of different ones and it's just going to take some experimenting so that's where i would start first then i would go and do some functional labs i would go figure out what's going on for you um, is it a gut issue? Is it a hormone issue? Is Do you have leaky gut? Um, you know, do you have a mold issue? So I would do some of those functional labs that I know you guys use in your practice, you know, like a mycotox, an oat, um, a Dutch test, a GI map, all of those things. So I would I would try to get as much information as you can. And then you can piece together a protocol um, for yourself that's very specific to you. And um and go slow. It's good. The one thing I would tell people is it's slow. So I don't know if you guys have ever, sometimes you'll have clients and they'll be like, all right, I've been doing this a month. Like what the hell? Like, yep. Why am I not better? You know? Yep. And it's like, okay, well, it's going to, it's going to take a lot longer to unpeel all the layers of this complexity. So also it's, you know, be aware that it's going to take you some time and some experimenting, um, but you can a thousand percent get to a better place with this. It's, that's one of the things I think is a misnomer for people is you can get to a better yeah. place. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, just the last thing you said is it's so hard when you're so hopeful. I think a lot of people are become so hopeful when they find someone that feels like, you know, it feels like someone's finally listening to me or, you know, they, they understand what I might be going through. Yeah. And then you just get your hopes up that like, it's going to be overnight that things improve. Yeah. Um, and uh, like you mentioned, a lot of times, even with mast cell, it's, it's layers, you know, there's pieces that have like compounded to end up in this situation. And I think that's with a lot of different dysfunction, like symptoms are so far downstream. Um, like they teach an FDN and it's, it's yeah. typically things have been going on for a long time and compounded so much that the symptoms you're feeling will take time to get to, you know, potentially a root cause. Sometimes you never even find like the absolute number yeah. one root cause, you know? Um, yeah. and just understanding that, finding hope in the little improvements that you feel and, you know, the little wins that you have along the way, like, yes. oh, I slept better this week than I have in months or years. Like, even though for some people, like the scale isn't dropping 20 pounds in a month, or, you know, I, yep. I can't eat every food that I want yet. You can eat one or two new foods, you know, and it's those things add up over time. Um, and these healing yes. journeys are often just layers and layers, to be honest, which is, you know, hard to hear when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it. Um, but you know, Liz and I have both been on our own healing journeys in different ways as well. And it's just, you look back on it and you're like, oh, wow. Like I, I feel amazing now. And it was yeah. months, years, but it was worth it. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. And I think both of us are still healing, you know, as I think everyone Absolutely. is always healing <laughs> just because of how our world is today. Um, yeah, totally. And I agree with you because there are times like every once in a while with I, if I get into a flare, maybe I had a medical procedure or something, or I was exposed to something and I didn't know, like that was a true. And I'll have a flare and I'll get really pissed about it. <laughs> and I'll think my first reaction is, 
oh, we're back here again? Like, what are we doing? But then I do what you just said, which is I take myself out of that and think back, all right, look at where you started from. Okay, this is going to bother you for a couple of days and then you'll be fine. And you used to be in a wheelchair and you could eat four things. I think you're all right. Like, so you have to sort of, you know, check yourself a little bit. Um, Like you were saying, I think that's so important. And I also think an important thing for people to realize and accept is that you have to co-create your own health and healing. A lot of times people will come to you and be like, just fix me. Just tell me what to do. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And I get why. You just want to feel better. You just want someone to say, here, take this thing and everything's going to be okay. It just doesn't work like that. You're going to have to show up every day and make choices that support your health and move you forward. And sometimes that can be tough. I mean, I remember working with a client with a mastocytosis and she was like, but I don't want to stop eating you know, my McDonald's and I need my chai latte from, you know, it's like, okay, well then you're only going to get so far. So you have to be able to commit to doing your part in it as well, which can sometimes people aren't in that place or they just, they're just not in the space to hear that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard when you're in the thick of it, you know? And yeah. I think- Cause you just want to feel better. And you're just like, I don't want to hear this. Like I just, so one thing I would love for you to kind of touch on um, before we wrap up is, you know, we often see a lot of clients who are upset that they haven't lost the weight. I've been doing this for a Mm. month and the scale hasn't changed. I'm often reminding our clients and saying, Hey, let's focus on what all has changed. Maybe you're sleeping better. Maybe your joint pain is, you know, less your brain fog has improved your moods, improved all of these things. And often remind them that a lot of what you've been dealing with is years upon years compiling here. Right. And so for somebody who lost 90 pounds, who was only able to eat four foods, maybe touch on that a little bit for somebody who is struggling with like the weight, because I always say to them, the weight will come. You just have to continue to one, believe that this process is going to work for you. Um, Because I definitely think as we've talked already, you know, the mindset plays a huge role in this. Um, And being positive versus being negative Nancy every single day is not going to help. Um, and so if you want to just touch briefly on that to somebody who is really concerned about the scale, the scale, the scale, what would you say to them? Because you were kind of on the other side of that, you know, losing way yeah. too much weight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I could fit into my skinny jeans and then some, but I felt like shit, to be honest. Like, So it doesn't equate. You have to ask why. Why do you want to be a certain weight? Is it, you know, for purely like aesthetic or vanity or it's secondary. The weight loss to me is always secondary to what else is going on, right? So if your hormones are imbalanced, if you're in a state of stress, your body is always going to prioritize safety first. So until you bring your body back into homeostasis, it's not going to prioritize weight loss. That'll come once you address those other underlying issues, those gut pathogens, those hormones, whatever it is for you, you create safety in the body and then the weight loss will happen naturally. You know, you won't even have to try. So I would say I get it because, um, you know, who doesn't want to lose some weight and, and be the size they want to be. But I would say to focus more on health than on weight because they're different things. You could drop a ton of weight and not be healthy and not feel well. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately you want to feel vibrant. You want to feel whole. You want to feel fully embodied in your body. And that really doesn't depend on weight. It depends on your health, your mm-hmm. physical health, your mental, emotional health, and your spiritual health. So I, I get totally get it. But I would, I would try to remind people of that. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing too, just in terms of, you know, how malnourished you were led to yeah. all the other symptoms. Because I think oftentimes people 
you know, don't correlate on oh, my hair loss or my horrible, yeah. horrific periods, my anemias are deficiencies in nutrients that I really need. And so I love that you touched on that as well, because, you know, a lot of times people think if I'm on a supplement protocol, that's all I need to be doing. They forget the diversity of food that we need, the colors and the vast array of micronutrients and minerals that we need to continue. And I always say, you know, say to our clients too, remember that we need to also work on stress management here because this healing journey is stressful to the body. I mean, you're, you're asking the body to do a lot of work. And while we are giving it some support and therapeutic supplements when we can, it's really important that you are mindful of resting when you need to, you know, toning down all of your cardio, going for more walks, like getting into more of that parasympathetic. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think there's so many pieces to the healing journey that there is, it's never one thing. And, and I'm so glad you, you just mentioned stress because it's something I should have touched on before. And it's such a huge mass cell trigger because when you're under that chronic stress, whether it's physical or it's emotional, your brain, your hypothalamus will release cortical releasing hormones, CRH, and that's going to stimulate your adrenal glands to release more cortisol that activates your mast cells and it keeps this loop going. So stress, you have to manage your stress as well. It's such a key piece in getting you, like you said, into that parasympathetic rest, digest, and heal, that space where you can actually begin to heal. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part is a lot of people that end up with a lot of symptoms that are driven by stress are type A or like very, yes. you know, and they're like, I just need to know what to take to improve this. And it's like, you need to take a chill pill because yeah, that is you need ultimately... to make some adjustments. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't yeah. heal when you're in that stressed environment. You can't. And it's funny because that was a huge lesson for me because I'm very much type A and every, and in the beginning too, I, I had to sit down and let people help me, which was huge. Like, I'd be like, no, 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 everybody, I got it. And then they'd be like, no, you actually don't. But why don't you sit down? But we've got you, you know, like, so yeah, you have to make those adjustments to your lifestyle, to how you're working, how you're showing up in your relationships, make time for self-care and for yourself and manage that stress response. And you have to, you have to do that to gain some healing. Yeah. That's, thank you so much for your story. This has been amazing. Um, And can you let people know where they can find you, social media, website, um, if they're interested in contacting you? Sure. My website is uh, forginghealth.com. My social media, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, um, and the handle is at forginghealthnd, and that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.